Good to see you today. Glad you're in the Lord's house. Uh, Turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 2. I'm preaching a a series of sermons through the book of Acts. It's entitled Unstoppable, and today we're going to talk about our life together. That is, your life and my life together in the family of faith. Uh, We're talking here about how we as individuals and as a church should yield our lives to the unstoppable power of God's Holy Spirit. And we learn to do that from our spiritual ancestors recorded for us here in the book of Acts. Again, this is not just what God used to do. It is what God still wants to do in us and through us as we are filled with the Spirit of God. In fact, it says in Acts chapter 2 verse 41, Then those who gladly received His word, that is the preaching of Peter, were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. What a day, man. What a great day for the church. 3,000 people got saved in a single day and became passionate followers of Jesus Christ. And they also were added to the church. What we have in the next few verses is a description of how they, as a result of the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, became active members in the family of Christ. They were spirit-filled followers of the Lord. We see the evidence of the presence and power of the Spirit of Jesus in this group of people. And this is what it looks like. If we want a snapshot of what they look like, we have it right here in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and with simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Lord, thank you for our family, our family heritage, the the family of faith recorded here in Acts 2. And I pray, dear Lord, as you added to their number daily, you would also add to our number and help the family of faith just to continue to grow. Love you, Lord. I I pray that you would speak through me to the people today and help us to hear the word of God and be motivated by it. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Uh, Question for you. How many of you have ever been to a family reunion and will admit it by raising your hand? Please raise your hand. Leave it up just for a second. You've been to a family reunion before. Did you love it? Oh boy, mixed, mixed results there. I got a couple of pictures I'm going to throw up. The first one is from 1968. Uh, this is in Brownwood, Texas at Brownwood Lake, uh, the Harmon Family Reunion. Uh, they started this a couple of years before 68, maybe, I don't know, 65, 66. And they're, they're as part of the family. It's not everybody. Usually between 33 and 35 people showed up. You're probably wondering where I am, aren't you? Are you? Are you? Do you really care? The, the end person on, on our right over here on the front row is my sister. Uh, she's tall, got black hair, glasses. The, the goofy-looking kid that's doing this, 
That's me. I have, I have no idea what I was doing. I, I mean, I was a nerd. I mean, I was, I was, a, I was a bad nerd back then. I was, that's long before I turned into a stud. I was a dud back then. <laughs> I was a goofy little kid. But man, I got great memories from the Harmon family reunion. Uh, again, it would be a week, maybe eight days we would spend at Brownwood Lake as a family. We would pack our car on Friday night before we left Saturday. Y'all remember that? Packing the car, getting all excited. Sister and I couldn't sleep that night. It's kind of like Christmas, you know. We'd get up the next morning, drive down to Brownwood, meet all our cousins. and family. I mean, we lived in the same town. I mean, saw them all the time. But it was, it was great going to Brownwood Lake. And, man, there, there we, would, we would stay in this cabin. You can see the cabin right there. I can remember it like it was right there yesterday. And I'm walking into the center door. And you got a big kitchen area with bathrooms. And then the wings on either end, that little building on the end. Boy, I remember it a lot bigger than that. But anyway, both sides, you could go either way, and it's kind of like a bunkhouse. All that were in the end rooms are bunk beds. And that's where we slept. 35 Harmons together, sleeping in bunk beds. I mean, there's kids rolling off the top bunk. It was great fun, man. Uh, I don't know if it was that year, but one year we brought our little poodle dog, Pootie. Pootie the Poodle, our family dog, he came with us, and during the night, he used the bathroom in Uncle Bill's shoe. Uncle Bill's right back over there. And Uncle Bill got up the next morning, put on his shoe. He wasn't happy with Pootie. I, I think he wanted to kill Pootie. Anyway, great memories from the Harmon family reunion. It was awesome. Picture number two is just a couple of years later. We're back at Brownwood Lake. That's where we went every year. This is me and some of my cousins on... On the back row, far left, the tall girl with the long black hair, that's my sister Sharita. Uh, right in front of her is my little cousin Connie. The girl with the, the popsicle is, is my cousin Pam. The, the, the nerdy looking kid with the ball cap. <laughs> yeah, I was still a dud back then. But anyway, that's part of my cousin group. That's not all of us, but we had fun, man. We'd get up early and would scour the shores of Lake Brownwood looking for Coke bottles, glass Coke bottles, because back then, Gary, you could take them to the store, get a nickel back. Remember that? That was way back then. Man, that was a long time ago. Hey, put the picture back up there. I'm not finished with it. This is off. Anyway... Big cousins would take care of the little cousins. I don't know where our parents were. I mean, I, I don't know what they did during the day, but we went out and had a great time. One big happy family. Kind of. That's the way I remember it. I don't know. It probably wasn't happy all the time, but boy, it seemed like it was. One big happy family. Well, church, that's exactly what we have in Acts chapter 2. God has given birth to the church, one big happy family. In Acts chapter 2 verse 41 it says that 3,000 new believers were added to the church in one day. Acts 2.47 says that the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. Between these verses is a description of how they lived together as a big happy family. At least that's the way they started out, all right? So we have a family photo of what our life together as the Spirit-filled people of God should look like. Acts chapter 2 is a snapshot of our ancestors and the family that we come from. And this is the way we should look today as a church. 
Four things I want to point out about this picture. Number one, let's look at the word that we have received. The word that they received. Verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That is in the teaching of the apostles. Okay, here's the deal. In one day we have 3,000 people saved. These are baby Christians. They don't know anything really about the word of God. And so the Holy Spirit opened a school in Jerusalem. It was taught by the apostles and attended by the new believers. The apostles would teach them the truths of the word of God. And when it says they continued steadfastly, we're talking about something that was done with intense effort. It was done on a daily basis. The apostles were teaching and the people were listening. Just like you are this morning, all right? Just like we're doing right here. It wasn't a sporadic thing. It was a daily thing. In fact, they had a steady daily diet of the teaching of the apostles, which is essentially what we have in the New Testament. The apostles were teaching these new believers what we read today from the New Testament. You see, the Word of God was at the very center of the life of the people of God. They were literally sitting at the apostles' feet, hungry to receive instruction on how they should live life. And church, let me tell you, this is critical. This is critical even for us today. All believers need to be established in the faith. All believers need to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God. I read a statistic not long ago that, that said the biggest group of people that slide off into cultish teachings are Christians who are Baptists. And that kind of blew my mind. Right? We come and we have fun at church and we like fellowship, but are we learning the Word of God? We need to be rooted and grounded in what we believe. You need to know what you believe and why you believe it. It's critical not only for you as mature believers, it's particularly true for new believers. You see, in our Bible classes here at Cavanaugh Church and in our worship services and all the other gatherings that we have as a church, the Word of God must be at the very center. Hmm? And we can be sure that what followed these believers of Jesus Christ from the teachings of the Word of God was that they took it home with them. And they kept talking about what the apostles had taught them. They shared it with family members. They shared it with friends. They would talk about it at the water fountain at work. You know, that's a novel thought, isn't it? That we take what we hear at church and we flesh it out during the week. Now, the apostles' word carried authority because they had been commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself to convey this truth to the church. The authority of the apostles was established by the miracles that they were performing. We're going to see more of this later, but notice verse 43. It says, Then fear came on every soul, and many wonders, that is, miracles and signs, were done through the apostles. I believe the reason that God authenticated the apostles' message through these miracles and signs and wonders is to cause the people to listen carefully and to take what they were saying very seriously. So they submitted to the teaching of the apostles. 
which is again what we have in our New Testament today. Because they knew it was the very word of God to them. And the Bible tells us when they heard this word of God, they trembled. Literally it says fear came upon every soul. And I don't think that's the kind of fear like they they were scared to death. It, It was a holy awe that they had. It was a great respect, not only for these apostles who were performing the miracles, but for the God behind them and the word that was being preached to them. Church, stop to think about this. What would our church, Kavanaugh Church, look like if, as we open our Bibles, we all lived with this trembling sense of the awe of Almighty God? What would happen if if we didn't treat this just like any other book, but we treated this like the book it is, the Word of God, the life-giving instruction from God? What if every time we opened it, we realized, hey, the Spirit of God is speaking through this written Word into my heart? What if we allowed the Word of God to treat us just like God was speaking it to us? And what if we respected it for the authority it is and started living by its principles and its truths? What if? Let me tell you, that'd be awesome, man. It'd be awesome. So number one, the word they received. Number two, the second snapshot is the walk that we share. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now, what do you think of when I talk about church fellowship? Well, generally we think of the fellowship hall where the people in the Baptist church go to have some punch and some cookies and maybe a potluck meal. We've we've spent plenty of time doing that and I think there was a place for that in the church in the book of Acts and we'll see it in a moment. But what is packaged in this word fellowship is more than that. It's dynamite. This word fellowship is very powerful. In fact... It's outright radical. The word fellowship means to have things in common and also to share with each other. And here's the way it looked immediately after the Holy Spirit formed and filled the early church. Verse 44. Now all who believed were together and they had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and they divided them among all as anyone had need. So the very first illustration of fellowship is that these new believers were so filled with the love of Jesus and so connected to each other as brothers and sisters in the family of God that if one of them had a need, the others in the group didn't feel right to selfishly cling to their own stuff without providing for the need that somebody else had. So here's what they would do. They would sell their possessions and take the money and use it to meet the need in the life of the person in the church who had a need. That's radical, man. In fact, we're going to see later on in Acts chapter 4, verse 34, there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses, sold them. They brought the money from the cells and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Now, guys, I'm going to be real honest. That's hard for us to wrap our minds around. 
isn't it? That, that's hard for us to connect with today. Even those of us in, as Christians in American churches. Why? Because we are so immersed in the materialistic culture of our age that all we think about are our own needs and our own conveniences and the stuff that we have. In fact, when you look at it like that, you would have to say that we are more conformed to the spirit of this world than we are to the spirit of God. If all we're doing is looking out for number one, me, myself, and I, my little family, and nobody else, we are not fulfilling the law of God. We're not being Christians. We're not being a real part of the family of faith because that's not the way Christians and churches are to act. In fact, let me read on in 1 John chapter 3, 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? I mean, did you get that? In fact, I can remember in seminary, a professor of mine was talking about this, and he threw out this radical statement. He said, you know what? We as the church have allowed and given the authority of our government to do the job that we as Christians should be doing. He said, if churches responded as churches should respond, we wouldn't have any need of the welfare program. If we were taking care of our own, no one would be in need. At least that, those in the family of faith. Now, you know what, I've got to back away from this and understand, okay, we're in 2016, and yes, things are a little different. This is brand new church. Other things have happened. It's different. But you know what? Still the same principle applies to us. And, and I, you know what, I'm really glad to say, and I'm proud of you guys, because when we know of a need within our church family, when we know somebody in this family is in need, we go out of our way to help them. And I applaud you for that. That's the way the church should be. You know, not only the church, but the individuals inside the church. And so as I'm preaching and admonishing you, I'm also encouraging you, let's keep up this good work. Let's keep meeting each other's needs. Because, you know, it's not just your need, it's my need. It's what the Bible teaches. If you have a need, I've got a need. If you've got a problem, I've got a problem. If you have a joy or a blessing, it's not just your joy or blessing, it's mine too. Why? Because we're a family. We're a family. Older cousins in my picture taking care of younger cousins. When we would scour the shores of Brownwood Lake and get those Coke bottles and take them into the store and get our nickel back for each one, there would be some of us who would have more Coke bottles than the little kids. But you know what? When we got the money, we divided it equally. And we shared in the bounty. Because we're family. And church, that's what we do. The word we receive, the walk we share. And number three, look at the worship we give. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. In this little phrase, we get a glimpse inside the worship of the church. Luke later adds in verse 46, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness, and with simplicity of hearts. Scholars believe that that little phrase, breaking of bread, that's mentioned in verse 42 and in verse 46, probably refers to sharing 
in the highest act of worship that we believers can share in. And that is the Lord's Supper. Honestly, church, that's the greatest act of worship that we can give as we celebrate together taking of the Lord's Supper. And by the way, quick time out and commercial, we're going to do that this Wednesday night. We're, to come, we're coming together as the family of faith, the body of believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to sit in family units. We're going to have a real simple service, a couple of songs, and then we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. That little bread that we're going to take of represents His broken body. He gave His life on Calvary's cross. He allowed His body to be broken so that you could be healed. The little cup we drink of, of of grapefruit juice represents the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood was shed on Calvary that day for the remission of your sins. And when we come together this Wednesday night as a family to partake of the Lord's Supper, we are celebrating His death, burial, and His resurrection. We're thanking Him for what He has done for us. They did it in the early church. That's what it's talking about. That's their worship to God. We praise You, Lord, for what You've done. Scholars also believe that it was done in the context of sharing a meal together as believers. So their fellowship gave way to Christ-exalting worship. Because when it says they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, it means that this fellowship and togetherness all revolved around their worship to one person, Jesus Christ. They were worshiping Him. It was such a precious thing to them that their hearts overflowed with joy and love in the Lord. And listen to me, this, this doesn't just happen automatically. You've got to pursue it. You've got to want it. There has to be passion in your heart for it. So, as a church, here's a lesson we need to learn. Number one, we must determine that we're going to come together as the family of God on a regular basis. We're going to determine we're going to do that. I'm going to be with my family. My family of faith. I'm, I'm coming not just on Sunday mornings at 1030, but when they meet, I'm going to meet with them, man. I'm going to get with them. I'm going to rub shoulders with them. I'm going to pray with them, worship with them, be with them, intertwine my life with other believers in my church home, Kavanaugh. And let me tell you, you can't get all you need in one single worship service at 10.30 on Sunday mornings. The world has too big of a pull on you through the rest of the week. Their influence is too great on your soul. You need the, the security and the safe place that this church gives. You need to come and be with us, okay? It doesn't just automatically happen. You've got to arrange your schedule. You've got to make it a priority. Number two, we must determine that Jesus Christ is going to be at the very center of our gatherings. He's going to be the primary topic of our conversations. Now, I know a lot of church people who get together and they don't do this. They, they allow other things to be the, the center of conversation and usually it drifts off into stuff that they shouldn't be discussing or talking about and for too long you've got all kinds of problems. If Jesus is the main topic of our conversations, we're going to avoid all those problems. There's not going to be conflict. You know, usually, you, here's what we like to do. Can I, I don't, this is not in my notes, it's just coming from my heart. Usually what we like to do when we get together is talk about other people. 
And usually that disintegrates into griping and complaining and talking bad about people and, you know, strife, division comes from that, bad feelings come from that. Because you know what? All of us have problems. And if you want to pick out my problems, you can certainly do it. Miss Angie will give you a list of them. I've got them, you've got them, all God's children's got them. And if when we get together, that's what we concentrate on and talk about, you know what? We're going to end up having a church that is divided and going in different directions and a little click over here and a little click over there and we're not going to be able to do what God has called us to do because that takes unity to reach the world. But you know what, if we make a determination, you know what, when I come together in a Sunday school class or in a prayer group or a men's group or a women's group or a youth function or a youth group, Jesus is the primary concentration point. He's going to keep us on track. He's going to keep us on point. But we've got to determine that. So if somebody else starts talking about a friend of yours or somebody else in this church, you can say, well, you know what, let me, go, let me call them right now and tell them you're concerned about them. Boy, that'll, that'll straighten it up, won't it? Keep Jesus the focal point. Number three, we've got to determine that when we come for worship or Bible study or class fellowships or team meetings or whatever brings us together, we do so with glad and sincere hearts. Because it says that's what they had. They came together with glad hearts, sincere hearts. They, they were happy to be together. They had a smile on their face. Come on. Do it for me, please, please, you're killing me out there. Come on, put a smile on you. Have a glad heart. Why? Because you're in God's house with God's people. That was their way of worship. Woo, man. How that could transform things today. Wow. Hmm. So that's the worship they give. It was coupled with prayer. Because in that sentence it says, They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. You see, when they connected with one another, they connected to God. When they met together, they met God. The cool thing is the word prayer here is in the plural, which means that it was not an isolated incident, but it was a consistent, constant ministry of the church. And by the way, we're keeping that up today. We're doing the same thing today. We follow this example as we meet together every Wednesday night. I know in the adult service that happens in here at 7 o'clock, we do sing some songs. I do have a Bible lesson. But the climactic part of that service is when the family, get that? The family of faith comes around these altars and we pray. We had a special prayer meeting this past Wednesday night. In fact, I told the church before we started it, this could be the most historic Wednesday night prayer meeting that we've ever had. Because we were praying specifically for revival and for our Easter celebration services. And I know God's going to do something great. I know He is. Why? Because the family of faith came together and we prayed for it. So these early believers met together in different places and at different times. They met together in temple courts and in their homes. There were times that they were all together and there were times when they were in smaller groups. But whenever and wherever they met, it says in verse 47, they were praising God. Hey, thank you, ma'am. And they were enjoying the favor of all the people. They were kind of like magnets out there, man. 
People were drawn to them. Why? Because they had the favor of God in their lives. They were praising God and they were enjoying the favor of all the people. And as this supernatural life happened among them, it was a powerful witness of the gospel. Which leads us to the last glimpse that we have of the church in this snapshot that we're taking. Number four, it's the witness they spread. Verse 47b says, And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You see, in spite of the sweet life that they shared together as believers, they never forgot that the Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit with a missionary passion for the peoples of the world. They never lost sight of non-believers around them. In fact, the message that we read from the book of Acts is that God is on this unstoppable quest to take the gospel to the nations of the world. The Holy Spirit is given to the church to accomplish something in the church that results in a powerful witness to the world. And that's what they were doing. Church, listen to me. So much of what happens in modern American churches today is that we are not just fishing other ponds, we are fishing other churches' aquariums. What do I mean by that? Well, we're going after fish, that is, people that have already been caught. Kavanaugh, listen to me. We need to do our fishing in the great ocean of lostness that is all around us. If somebody is saved and in a church, let's leave them alone. Let's let them be in their church, go to their church, be a part of their church. There's plenty of lost people out here that we need to be winning to Christ to build this church. And here's how it happens. We witness and God saves. We don't save people. God saves people. But He needs us to do the witnessing for Him. We witness, God saves. We plant, God harvests the seed. Since salvation is the work of God, it is God who adds people to the church. And it was happening on a daily basis in Acts chapter 2. Just as their worship was daily, their witness to a lost world was daily. The way the church shared life together was a powerful testimony to the gospel and to the truth of God. It is exactly what Jesus had prayed for in John chapter 17. Jesus is praying to the Father and He said, I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. In other words, Jesus prayed to the Father, Lord, let, let, the, let the world see your love in my disciples. Just like I love you and you love me, may they love us, Lord, and spread the good news of the gospel. And it was being fleshed out in Acts chapter 2. Jesus' prayer was being answered. And you know what? He, he, he prays the same prayer for us. He prays, Lord, Father, I pray that that the world would see the love of us and the people at Kavanaugh Church and that they would be our magnets to a lost and dying world. Man. You know what? I, I look back on my family photo and there, there's some of those people that showed up at the Harmon reunion who are no longer with us. In fact, I've, I've done the funeral services for, for a, a bunch of my family. 
and I miss them. My old Uncle Dean, he was the coolest guy I think I'd ever met. He was just, Uncle Dean was just cool, man. He had a boat, and he'd let us ride in his boat. He'd, he'd let us do things our parents wouldn't let us do, you know. He was just cool. My Uncle Bill, the one pooty, used the bathroom in his shoe that night. He was good to me. I'd spent time at Uncle Bill's house with Aunt Dora and my cousin Pam. And Uncle Bill just had a special interest in, in my spiritual development. He was, a, he was a good uncle to me. Uncle Harold, Uncle Pete. I miss those guys. You know what? I'm, I'm thankful for them. You understand what I'm saying? I'm thankful for them. They're a part of my heritage. They, they are a part of who I am today as a person. They modeled life for me. They impressed me when I was six, seven, eight, ten years old. They helped mold me and make me into the person I am today. I owe a great deal to those in my family. They're my family. Are you getting what I'm saying? But so are these people right here in Acts chapter 2. They're my spiritual heritage. I'm so thankful for them. What I didn't show you is the, the old family films. I guess that's 8 millimeter films we used to take. Remember those? Silent, the silent movies, the crazy. Y'all ever do that in family? I'm just talking to people my age and older. Y'all remember those things? Those are great to watch, aren't they? You, you laugh because they're so goofy, man. I think it'd be pretty cool if we could go back in time today with our iPhones and the great cameras we have in our iPhones and video what was going on in Acts chapter 2. I mean, if you could take your iPhone and, and video these gatherings, you would see believers gathered together and they're, they're focused intently on the teachings of the apostle. I guarantee you, there was nobody dozing when the apostles were teaching. I mean, they were at the apostles' feet and they were hungry to receive the word of God and they listened intently. The video would capture the look on their faces and the tone in their voices that reflected a sense of awe and wonder before God and His holy word as they met day to day and week to week. The video would capture people emptying their pockets and their purses to provide for the needs in the church fellowship. With the video camera running, it would capture the times when they would all rush to the church house and have a big praise and worship meeting. And, and then they would, they would go on to their own individual homes or schools or, or works and they would continue to pray with each other and share the word of God together. Again, the video would capture the looks on their faces and the joy that would be in their voices as they testified to the world that they were followers of Jesus Christ. And inevitably, this video that you would take if you were there with your iPhone would capture men, women, boys and girls, both young and old, stepping forward and saying something like this. What's happened to you people? I mean, what's going on with you guys? You are so different and you are so changed. There is such joy in your life and happiness that I've got to have some of it. So how can I be saved? That's pretty awesome. Hmm. That would be a video of our family. 
Or how about, it's a video of us. Is it? I sure pray it is. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would do something special in our hearts right now. If there's somebody in this service that's never accepted Jesus as their Savior, I pray that today they would come and be saved. Lord, there may be a Christian here that's just, uh, they're having a hard time. Maybe they're, they're away from you. Maybe things aren't right in their family, their work. They're just having problems. May they bring all that stuff to you today and ask for your help. Lord, for all of us, may there burn in our heart a passion to follow you and to live for you and to spread the good news of the gospel. Lord, we've all got people in our life that don't go to church and aren't saved, whether it be a family member, a co-worker, a neighbor, friend, classmate. All of us can think of at least one person in our life that needs the Lord. Lord, again, give us the burning desire and passion to see that person saved. Help us to come to the altar this morning and pray specifically for that person. And also ask you, dear God, to give us courage to be a witness to them and invite them to come next Sunday. Lord, bless when we open up our altars for people to come pray. I, I just ask that you would move amongst us and, and help us to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask that you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. The guys are going to sing. And I'm going to ask you to come and pray for whatever reason, for yourself.